So with that said, Matthew chapter 11, if you'll turn there in your Bibles as you have Bible in hand. We continue our journey through the book of Matthew. We'll start at the top of the chapter, Matthew chapter 11. I love to hear the pages turn of Bibles. You know, in a lot of churches, not to be, you know, critical, but in a lot of churches, you don't hear that because people don't bring their Bibles. So, you know, bring your Bibles. And one of the reasons, this is just me personally, it's not just that I'm old school, but um, one of the reasons I don't put the verses up on the screen is I want you to bring your Bible, bring your pen, bring a notebook, make notes in your Bible, have your Bible with you, and... Um, you know, I remember at one time that um, there was, I won't say who it was, but somebody who said, hey, you guys at Calvary Chapel, you, your Bibles, you know, people come in with your Bibles full of duct tape and stuff because, you know, they're, you know, because we're wearing them out. And the Bible that has duct tape that is worn out usually belongs to a person who isn't. And uh, so have your Bibles, good Bibles in there, read it, uh, take it with you, bring it here. And uh, it's such a blessing to be in a place where you guys want to hear God's word, go through it, and that's what we're going to do today. And you're turning the pages of your Bible. So uh, I know that we have smartphones and we have programs. I'm not against those things at all, but I would encourage you, get a Bible that you can write notes in. And um, in this thing, I, you know, I keep taping it up and everything because I know where the verses are. If I try to find it in your Bible, I probably won't find it. You know how that is when you're so familiar with the Bible. And I know it's, you got a visual of it. I don't know. But I'm one who still handwrites my notes too. So, and um, some of the guys make fun of me of doing that. So, but that's okay. Um, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, see, this is third service, so I can go on and on and on. I don't have a time limit. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord said, when you go into the land and you ask for a king, the one of the things that he was to do is to write the word, the book of the law down. And there's something about, for me, when I write verses down on a piece of paper or write notes, I remember it. And it just helps me with my memory. So, Father, we do ask that as we have the privilege of being here in this place to study your word, I pray that you would just take your word and work it deep within our hearts. This book that we hold in our laps is more valuable than any gold or silver, um, more precious to be desired more than honey in a honeycomb, as David writes. And Lord, I pray that we would never take it for granted, the privilege that we have as the church to come together to worship you and to study your word, especially, especially in the day in which we're in. Lord, I thank you for your incredible grace and mercy that was given to us with this moisture that we have. And Lord, I pray that more moisture would come on those fires that are just west of here. That even as we saw this week, the, the ash that's falling, we've been experiencing the smoke and the ash for the last couple months. Um, it's been so dry. And Lord, I just pray that more moisture would come. And Lord, that these fires would stop. I also want to lift up those who are displaced from their homes that are in hotels and wondering if they go back, if there's even going to be a house for them, a cabin, uh, their residence. And Lord, I pray that, um, that you bring comfort. And Lord, somehow that we would be able to minister and, 
get a message out to them of, of, of hope and encouragement. And Lord, as we see the forest burn, a lot of those places that we enjoy going up uh, in the summertime and camping and fishing and all of that, we know that out of the ashes comes the beauty. And you can do that in your creation. And you can do that certainly with us. So, Lord, I pray that if we're here and it seems like things have burnt up or things are just a pile of dust and ashes, that you bring beauty. And, Lord, do that work. We just pray for strength. I pray for strength for the firefighters that are on those front lines. Lord, all the first responders that are there that are exhausted. And, Lord, that we would turn to you. We need your help. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And, Lord, it would cause us to, to see the bigger picture, an eternal perspective. Do this work in our hearts here as we study your word this morning because we're going to be reading something that perhaps that we can really relate to. And that is when doubt creeps into our heart and uncertainty. So, Lord, bless this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us on Sunday morning as we've been traveling through Matthew's gospel, we have seen that the people are responding to the working of Jesus as he's ministering in that rural uh, area of Galilee and in the northern part of the country. He's healing, of course, the people of every kind of sickness and disease. He's freeing the demoniacs. He's cleansing the lepers. He's even raising the dead. And as we saw in chapter 10, that it was Jesus as he would send the apostles, sent out ones, two by two out into the harvest field, that he would commission them to do the same kinds of work. You go out and you heal the sick, you cleanse the lepers, you free the demoniacs, you raise the dead. And so the first 10 chapters of Matthew, we have seen Jesus at the height of his popularity. And as we move into chapter 11, we will see that eventually the crowds will begin to thin out. And many will begin to walk away from the call of Jesus, the true discipleship. And we will also see that the religious leaders, that is the teachers of the law, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, are going to begin to really mount their opposition against Jesus and begin to plan and to plot how it is that they can put him to death. So as we conclude at chapter 10, Jesus sending out the 12 to do a powerful work, but also to give a powerful message in the cities of Israel. That you tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm going to empower you to do what I've called you to do as I send you out. And, of course, to heal the sick and raise the dead and, and, and to, you know, cleanse the lepers. They couldn't do that in their own energy. They couldn't do that in their own ability. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to, to enable them to do what... God had called them to do what Jesus had commissioned them to do. And it's the same with us. Always keep in mind to live for the Lord as we walk with the Lord and as we are doing what he's called us to do, whether it's you, mom, raising your children in the ways of the Lord or it's ministry or it's, uh, you know, just desiring to live for him. We need the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and to fill our, our lives Every day, Lord, just fill me, empower me to do that, to live for you, because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So I'm going to empower you to live a life for me, to serve me. I'm going to provide for you as you go out. 
and know that as I empower you, I provide for you, but you are going to be persecuted for my sake because I send you out as sheep among wolves. And Jesus is just being honest that I'm going to send you out into a world that is very contrary to the kingdom of God. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And now as Jesus here uh, is sending out the 12, and he would say relationships are going to be severed and strained, uh, that a, a, a you know, servant is not above his master. Uh, know that, that there's going to be strained relationships. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And as Jesus begins to talk about now, we're going to read about a true disciple of Jesus, and that is John the Baptist, who himself pointed to Jesus. He, he spoke of Jesus, and he's going to be persecuted because of Jesus, as we read at the top of the chapter 11 of Matthew. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, that he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? We know about the ministry of John the Baptist, don't we? The, the Gospels speak of him. And in Matthew chapter 3, when we went over that chapter, we know that he was John the Baptist, the one that Isaiah the prophet spoke of that would be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, being the forerunner to the Lord. We know that before the public ministry of Jesus had begun, that all of Israel was going out to the Jordan, out there in the Judean wilderness, a hot, barren place where John was baptizing. All of Israel, the religious leaders were coming out. And John, as he was baptizing, it was a baptism of repentance, saying, one who's going to come after me is going to come, of which I'm not worthy to unloose his sandals. He's going to come, and he's going to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And as we looked at the ministry of John, he was so sure of his calling. He, he spoke boldly out there in the Judean wilderness. When Jesus showed up at the Jordan River, it was John who recognized who he was. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's interesting as we consider John and talk about his ministry. I think it's worth reminding us of what is declared in John chapter 3. That we know that as Jesus would begin his public ministry after he was baptized... The crowds began to leave John out there in the Jordan, out there in the wilderness. They began to go up north, and, and they're pressing in on Jesus. We've been reading about how great multitudes are up in the Galilee region. When that was happening, there was the disciples of John that were concerned about that. Hey, they're, they're leaving you, and, and they're going to be with him. And John answered something very important. I want to read it to you from John chapter 3. And he said I, that... I said that I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him, that is Jesus. And he who is the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, listen, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must, that is Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. 
I want to remind us of that because it goes in line with what Jesus was saying to his discipleship, that he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, I think that all of us want a fullness of joy. And John says that I have heard the voice of the bridegroom. I have been a friend of the bridegroom. And because of that, my joy is full and he must increase. I must decrease. And listen, if we want to have a fullness of joy, if we want to experience the Christian life the way that the Lord wants us to, it is true for you and for me that if you want to find your life, then lose it. Die to self. He said that you are to pick up your cross and follow after me. And picking up a cross back in those days meant that you were going to die. You were to die to self, don't live for self, die to self, and live for the Lord. And he must increase in our lives, and we must decrease. Now, that's not a popular message in our culture or in the world today. The world emphasizes exalt self, focus on self, prioritize self. It's all about self. And the Lord says, you die to self. John comes along and says that my joy is full because I've heard his voice. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I'm pointing to Jesus. And he must increase and I must decrease. And it's true for you and for me. So John, we've seen, he was a tough, solid, remarkable individual. And Jesus will confirm that for us in the next few verses. And so it may intrigue us or kind of surprise us that John would send a couple of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, there are some Bible teachers, and I've read a few commentators that said, well, it was John's disciples that were wondering. Uh, so he sent them to ask Jesus. And uh, I'm not convinced of that at all. I think that the text very clearly shows us that as John is in prison, he can't come himself. He's tied up. And he sends the disciples to ask on his behalf. We read about that in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John. Go and tell John. It wasn't Jesus that said, oh, you guys are struggling to, you know, you guys that are disciples of John. He said, no, you go back and tell John the things you hear and see. Go and tell him. Which, as I read about this, really brings kind of comfort to me in this. Here John is wondering. He's wrestling. If I am the Messiah's forerunner and Jesus is Messiah, then why am I in this place? Why am, in, am I in this prison? And I think that John just needed some understanding, some clarification. I think he needed some encouragement. He needed some reassurance. Because he expected the Messiah to overcome wickedness and judge sin and establish his kingdom. Now, why was John in prison in the first place? Keep in mind that in chapter 10, as we saw last week, that Jesus said to his disciples, as you go out, there's going to be a time where you're going to be delivered up, you're going to be scourged, you're going to be persecuted for my namesake. This is happening to John the Baptist right now. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to see why John was thrown in prison. He would be arrested by Herod, not Herod the Great, when you read the New Testament, there's four different Herods. There's two mentioned in the Gospels. Herod the Great was at the time of Jesus' birth. He's long been gone. He has a son, Herod the Tetrarch, ruling in the northern part of Israel at the time of Jesus' ministry. And what Herod had done is he had taken his brother's wife as his own. 
And John the Baptist said to Herod that you and Herodias, you guys are living in sin. You're living in adultery. So Herod had John locked up in prison. And I wondered that when John was first thrown in prison, if he wasn't thinking, you know, everything's going to be cool. Everything's going to be okay. The Messiah's on the scene. And I know what the prophets of old wrote concerning his coming and his ministry, that he's going to open up prison doors. He's going to set the captives free. And certainly that applies to me being in this prison I need that to happen, and I qualify for his ministry. I'll be okay, and Herod's really going to get his. And perhaps as John sat in that prison, and the days turned into weeks, and perhaps the weeks turned into months, and the prison conditions would be awful. They would not be good at all. They would be horrible. It would be dark. It would be damp. It would be moldy and rat infested and a piece of bread would be thrown to you for your food and as the days drugged on and continued on i wonder if john began to think i'm sure he is what is going on here why am i still here why aren't the prison doors being opened up why doesn't he come and rescue me and he's discouraged and he's hurting and he's in pain and doubt begins to creep into his heart. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? And all of a sudden you find yourself where you feel like I'm in this captivity or I'm in this prison or I want to be freed from this situation and the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months, perhaps even into years. And doubt begins to creep into your heart. You're discouraged. You're wondering, Lord, do you see me? Do you, do you know what I'm going through? Are you even working in my life? And you get discouraged. And you begin to ask those questions. What's going on? And when are you going to work, Lord? And certainly, John, I think he's feeling those sorts of things. Uh, are you the coming one or do I look for another? Am I missing something here? And he's getting impatient. And that doubt and discouragement really begins to grip his heart. That can happen to you and to me. When we find ourselves in a circumstance or situation where we feel like, Lord, I don't see you working. Lord, how do I know that you even care about me? We get impatient. And there was that season that perhaps we really sensed the presence of God in our lives. It was real. It was powerful. We had that deep intimacy and fellowship with him. But then all of a sudden, we find ourselves where we feel alone. We feel like that we're in captivity. We feel like that we're in the dark. And it goes on day after day and week after week. And as time continues, we begin to think, do I look for another? Do I look for another way out of this? Do I need to come up with my own plan? Do I need to look for another solution? Do I need to figure out my own understanding how I can be free? You know, what's interesting is we've been going through the Old Testament and going through those historical books and going through the prophetic books that we see that God's people, that when they would find themselves with the threat of captivity by the enemy or uh, problems or difficulties, 
that they had a tendency that they would want to make this alliance with Egypt. Uh, we see that with the house of Israel. We see that with the house of Judah. Hey, we're going to go to Pharaoh. We're going to seek him. We're going to go to Egypt. Uh, we're going to seek Egypt's counsel. We're going to look to the fast Arabian horses. And the Lord comes along and says, Woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you seek counsel, but not of me. Pharaoh's not going to help you. Egypt being a picture of the world. Fast Arabian horses. It's all going to be in vain. So return to me. And you wait on me. And you're going to hear from me. And so it's a wonderful study, but that was the tendency of God's people. Even in Jeremiah, after the destruction of Jerusalem, we see where are they going as they find themselves in a difficult situation. They're going to run to Egypt, and it is the Lord that says, don't do that. Stay where you're supposed to be. But we can have that tendency, Lord, because I've been in this situation. I don't know if you're working. Do I look for another way? And John is feeling those things in prison. He sends two of his disciples to find Jesus, and they do. And Luke's gospel tells us that they said to Jesus, Jesus, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, or to ask, are you the coming one? Do we look for another? And Jesus answers, go and tell John, verse 4, the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. You guys go back and tell John, tell him the works that I am doing. I'm fulfilling what the prophets had predicted concerning the Messiah. The blind are seen, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed. The poor are hearing the gospel. These things are being fulfilled, John, just as it was told that Messiah would do. And I am establishing the kingdom, not physically. That's going to come later. But it's happening spiritually. And people are being touched and they're being blessed and they're being freed. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And I think that Jesus here was given John a very important message that John be careful. And it's a message for all of us. And I know that the Lord has shown this to me in a deeper way over the last several months than ever before. And he says, John, don't focus on what I am not doing. You look to what I am doing. So you go and tell John that I am doing the work of Messiah. Don't be so concerned and focus on what I am not doing, and that is freeing you from prison. And in our own lives, and maybe perhaps over the last months, weeks, that as we maneuver through these difficult times, and it may have nothing to do with the pandemic, it may have something to do with something completely different in your own life, but you begin to get concerned, and you think, Lord, do you see? Do you hear? Lord, you're not working in a way that I expected. What I think that you should do, it continues on. Do I look for another? We can have these thoughts, and we have these struggles, and we wonder, and I know that I have over the last several months, when this whole pandemic thing came, and all of a sudden, very abruptly, we had to stop services. We had to stop meeting, and things changed so quickly, and then as the weeks turned into months to where we couldn't do hospital visits, we couldn't see people in nursing homes, we had to cancel so many things, 
things, weddings and, and funerals and things like that that we normally do. And, and as that was taking place, I remember thinking, Lord, when is this going to end? What's going to happen? The future is so uncertain. Even now we think what's going to happen as we end the year and go into the new year and, and all the news and it's all overwhelming. And we begin to think, Lord, how are we going to move forward? And I just wanted to go back the way it was. And the Lord has said, it's not going to go back to the way it was. That I want to do a new and fresh work. And don't focus on what I'm not doing. But you need to focus on what I am doing. And you need to listen to my voice and what I want to do. And when I turned the tide on that and just said, Lord, okay, you've allowed this to happen in my own life and the life of everybody else and what it brings in the ministry and to my family, then I'm not going to focus on what is not happening, but I want to focus on what is happening and what we can do. You see, during that time, we never really shut down. I was here. Some of the staff was here. We were answering phones. We were praying for people. We were on the radio. We were doing teachings. We were doing online teachings. We were ministering every way that we could. We were teaching the kids online. We were having crafts that were available to pick up. We were having prayer times out in the parking lot where people would just come, and we'd stand out with our mask on and people in their cars, and we'd pray for them. We were still ministering. We began to focus on the things that we could do. There's something that we can't do. We still can reach out, and we were emphasizing to others, listen, and all of you, you know somebody that you can reach out to, check on your neighbors, check on others that are linked to you in your life, coworkers and, and others that, that you know at school because they're all at home, they're being isolated. Focus on what you can do. Knowing that God is still sovereign and he allowed this to happen, but he didn't stop working. He didn't have a stay-at-home order, you know. Well, I'm up here. I guess I can't do anything. He's still on the throne. He still wants to work in our lives. And so that area of my life, it's not happening or not opening up or working out. We get discouraged by that, and we forget that the Lord is still sovereign and he is working. And to continue to walk in faith means that we look not for what isn't happening, but what is happening He's the one, as Revelation chapter 3 declares, that opens doors that no one can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open. And we know in our lives there are doors that he ends up shutting, and we are to go through those doors that he does open up for us. And the Lord might say to you, anyone this morning, you're discouraged, you're down, you're wondering, look around, see what I am doing. Be sensitive to my leading, hearing my voice, Hear the reports of my working and rejoice in that. Appreciate what you see, what it is that I am doing, how I'm working in you and in your family and those around you. Because he is still working. Maybe not in a way that we thought or we wanted to, but he hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us as orphans. He's still working. 
And I just suspect and guess that when they bring that word back to John in that prison cell, that John's heart begins to stir, and he's going to respond by saying, of course he's the Messiah. There's no other. He's fulfilling the prophecies. How could I doubt him? And what blesses me about our Lord is that Jesus ministers to John in such a reassuring way with compassion and tenderness and patience. He doesn't say to the disciples, Really? John wants to know if we should be looking for another or he should be looking for another? Uh, he's fired. You know, he's done. He's not my forerunner anymore. He can just stay in that prison cell. He doesn't say that because he knows that we're but dust, that we can struggle with these things. But he reaffirms his working as Messiah, I'm real, I'm working. And he reaffirms John's calling as we read in verse 7. And they departed and Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. When you saw John ministering out there in the wilderness, did you see somebody who was weak and flaky? No. John spoke and he stood for righteousness. He openly rebuked those religious leaders. He was one that rebuked Herod. The religious leaders didn't do that. He wasn't trying to be politically correct. He wasn't trying to be popular. He wasn't concerned with the latest opinion polls. He wasn't weak spiritually, being shaken around by the winds of the world. What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind, and by the way, the ministry of Messiah in Isaiah told to us is this. He doesn't break a bruised reed. And he doesn't quench his smoking flax. Did you see a reed just shaking in the wind? He doesn't break a bruised reed. When we become bruised, when we are hurt, and we are struggling, and we are wondering, he doesn't come along, you know, reed that grows there in the wetlands along the river. He doesn't come along just stomp on us and break us. When our hearts are just smoldering, I wish I, I could be on fire for the Lord. Be on fire for the Lord is like, it's got a little puff of smoke coming up. He doesn't take a bucket of water and just dump it on, you know, me. He, he cups our hearts and he just fans that flame back. That's his ministry and his gentleness and kindness, his compassion for us. What did you go out to see? Man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. He didn't wear fancy clothes. He didn't have, you know, all this stuff and the latest fashions and the latest this and that to do ministry. He's out there in the desert where it's hot. He wore camel skins. You never look at a camel and say, boy, I'd like to make jeans out of that camel skin. You, you just don't do that. He was out there. And he was being used of the Lord. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you more than a prophet. Verse 10, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. And assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus confirms the ministry of John the Baptist, and Jesus quotes from Malachi chapter 3, which speaks of the ministry of John, the forerunner to Jesus. And then Jesus says a remarkable statement. He's more than a prophet. He, up to this point, is the greatest born among women. And this is Jesus saying this. This is quite a compliment. Now, a couple quick things to note here. 
That is, first of all, at this time, when asked, who do you think Jesus would say is the greatest born up to that time? If you would have asked me, I would have said, well, probably Moses. Moses, who was, you know, the lawgiver, the one who led two and a half million people out of Egypt into the wilderness, you know, was up on Mount Sinai, you know, had the law he gave to them, uh, parted the Red Sea, the incredible ministry, it, it had to be Moses. Or I would have said maybe Joshua, Joshua that came into the promised land and they, you know, had great victory and drove out the inhabitants. Or I would have thought David, maybe perhaps David, the greatest king Israel ever had, the great psalmist, the great warrior who defeated giants. Or maybe Elijah, who represents the prophets. He called down fire from heaven. He caused there to be a drought for three and a half years. Or maybe it was Daniel. He's the greatest. The great visions that he had that we read about in the book of Daniel. But it wasn't any of those guys. Matter of fact, what is interesting concerning John the Baptist, John's gospel tells us that he did no miracles. He didn't turn water to blood. He didn't, you know, part the Red Sea. He didn't call down fire from heaven. He didn't defeat giants. He didn't have great prophetic visions. So what made him so great in Jesus' eyes, in Jesus' perspective? He was the greatest born among women up to this point because... He spoke of Jesus. He pointed people to Jesus. He proclaimed Jesus. He told people to repent and turn to the one that takes away sin. And you see, Jesus said, whoever is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John didn't hear Jesus say this. He told the disciples, go tell John what you have seen. They leave, then he turns to the crowd and he says, you know, he's greatest born among women. And whoever's least in the kingdom is the greatest. And we can think in our own lives, well, I don't have visions. I don't do great miracles. I, you know, don't do these things. And Lord, what is it that you're doing? And uh, I, I hear the correction of the Lord. He reminds me of these things that, that I struggle with. And we can think, oh, I'm such a spiritual failure. Lord, of course you're real. But then we begin to get down on ourselves. I haven't accomplished anything. They're spectacular. And, you know, I become weak at times. And I'm unproductive here. I get more concerned about what the Lord is not doing rather than what he is doing and on and on. And the Lord will bring correction to us because he loves us. And he knows that we need to grow in faith. And he desires to do that because he's a loving father and we are his spiritual children that can cry out, Abba, Father. And as we receive correction, you know, we begin to, to after that, just struggle a little bit at times. Oh, Lord, I shouldn't be struggling with this. And we can hear the correction. Sometimes we forget about the encouragement. You see, we forget about that it's the Lord is saying to you and to me that you can be great in the kingdom by just simply speaking about him. We receive the correction without the encouragement. He doesn't do it to elevate us. He wants to keep us in a place of humility and keep seeking him and not get complacent and prideful. I haven't raised the dead. I haven't healed the sick. I haven't spoken to great multitudes. I haven't not written any best-selling Christian books, 
haven't recorded any worship songs, any of those things. But John was considered greatest born among women because he simply spoke of Jesus. He stood for righteousness. And you and I can be great in God's eyes by doing the same thing. And in those times of discouragement, when we're wondering, Lord, where are you and why aren't you working, to know that he is working. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised. We're going to be surprised in that Jesus said at the end of chapter 10 that you who give a cup of water to a child, one of these little ones, is going to receive a great reward. He already said that if you pray in a way that is pleasing to the Father, not to be noticed of men, that you'll be rewarded. If you give in a way that isn't going to, you know, have you be exalted before others, you're going to be rewarded. In other words, these things that we do that the world looks at and says, that's not very impressive. You know, it's not worth noting. That's not really important. But in eternity's perspective, in God's perspective, it is important. And every single one of us that are here, that we can point to Jesus, we can speak about Jesus, we can give a cup of water to a little one. Can't we do that? In the beginning of this pandemic, listen, and I think it's worth of us being reminded of this at this point as we find ourselves heading into winter, and you know you hear the news like I do. It's like the twindemic and, and, you know, and all of this. There's a lot of fear out there. When we were ones that were, you know, told that, you know, we need to change and shut down, we were emphasizing there's still ministry that we can do. You can still help people. You can still call on people. You can write a note. You can, you know, help in very practical ways. That hasn't changed, folks. That has not changed. You keep looking for ways to reach out to others and tell them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And to proclaim truth and encouragement to serve others, to give a cup of water to somebody who's thirsty spiritually. Give them the water of the word and serve others in very practical ways and look out for others. And I know that we can be so focused on, I want to do this and I want to move forward in that and what's going to happen. Hey, let's focus on what he does put before us, the opportunities given to us. And when we begin to think, well, that's not very spectacular. Hey, it's important to the Lord. It's important to him. So let's focus on not what he's not doing is focus on what he is doing, wants to do, and what we can do for him. Giving a cup of water to one of these little ones. Jesus said, great, it's going to be your reward because it's important to me. And you will be great in the kingdom. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this eternal perspective that, Lord, that I know that has been reiterated to me because it is that the things that are important to the world or in people's eyes, Lord, we want to know what's important in your eyes. We want to know what's important in your perspective. So I thank you for this reminder that as we speak about you and as we point people to you, as we proclaim you, that we can be great in the kingdom. It's not because we don't perform miracles or do healings or or any of those things. And Lord, perhaps you want to use us in powerful ways, but, but Lord, we don't have to diminish our importance in the kingdom of God and to you. And to know that you are working, you're on the throne, you're sovereign, you still want to use us. 
you still want to use this. So, Father, I thank you for that. I just pray that we would be encouraged for those who, who feel like, how do I move forward? Or, Lord, don't you see? Do I look to another? Lord, that we would continually look to you because you are faithful, your word to us, your promises given to us. Father, I just want to pray if there's anyone here in this place or listening online, we're grateful that there are those who can do that, the technology that connects us to this service at this time. Maybe later on a radio, you've never committed your life to Jesus. He loves you. He desires for you to come and be a part of the kingdom of God. It isn't through your own doing. It's through the cross of Calvary. He died for your sins on the cross. He rose again, and he's alive. And the reason that he came was to die for your sins, because the wages of sin is death. And he came to bring salvation and forgiveness and right relationship with the Father as you come in faith. It isn't by trying to be good. It isn't by trying to be worthy. It isn't by being religious or coming to Bible study. Lord, we know it's by your incredible grace coming in faith and surrendering our hearts to you, calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Will you do that if you've never done that? You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I know that you conquered sin and death, rising from the grave. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the kingdom of God. I thank you for bringing me into the family of God. And for all of us, as we leave this place, that we remember that you're the one that opens doors that no one can shut. And you shut doors that no one can open, but you are working. And Lord, that we would draw our strength and comfort from you in every way. Lord, we do want you to show yourself strong on our behalf. But Lord, we don't have to doubt and wrestle because you are working. And all of this is going to culminate to where you're going to take us home. So we thank you. Bless everyone here as we go our way now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Anyone making a decision for the Lord or, or need prayer, please, I'll be here for a little bit. And Travis is going to close us. And don't forget about Wednesday, 7 o'clock, as we continue in Jeremiah, great study online. Travis closes.